Good morning again, beautiful church. If you're visiting, my name is Peter. I serve on the team of elders that leads the church. Today we're in week five of our preaching series in the book of Romans. Our preaching series called The Remnant. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's word. The Remnant, we're going through Romans 9 through 11. Today we're in chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, the word of the Lord. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Jesus, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word that's beyond our familiarities, the things that we settle for subconsciously, the kind of religion we're used to. Lord, add a blessing that goes beyond all of that. Lord, I have encountered over the last few decades of knowing you just how entrenched I seem to be and just what it means and feels like to be an American, even often disconnected from my identity and my mission and what you're calling me to in this chapter. And Lord, I thank you that by your grace and by the power of how you send and preach and, and cause your kingdom to arise above all the other kingdoms, I'm not left to my familiarities with American Christianity, Lord, you're, you're calling to redeem cultures, even this one, through your word that came before this country and will last after. And I'm asking that those who hear, those who are here, that you would give us ears to hear, show us what you're saying here, and show us how you're sending even us. Amen. Today I want to preach through our passage from start to finish real slowly. It's five verses. I want to preach from verse 13 and then we'll end with verse 17. And I want to, as I do, focus on four important points that I see. Sent preaching, beautiful feet, obedient belief, and finally the word of Christ. So let's take it from the top of our passage starting with verse 13. We'll focus on sent preaching preaching. Now, as you're turning back to verse 13, there's a sort of preaching that excludes sending from a church. And there's a sort of sending that kind of excludes preaching the Word of God. I think both are tragically incomplete. Neither lead to the gathering of believers in a church and the scattering of believers unto the nations and the regathering of believers, the habits of gathering and scattering that are meant to lead to 
the nations calling upon the Lord Jesus and being saved. The church is supposed to be much like our heart organ, where, where there is a gathering of blood that's being gathered to be sent out to the uttermost capillaries, right? And I think it's by the veins. or Yeah, the veins, they come back. They're gathered again and oxygenated, if that's the word. We as a church are to be gathered, to be sent, to be gathered, to herald the good news and to see life grow and to be, uh, to be sent out and built up by the preaching of the word. There's something that the Bible calls us to that's more than what we often settle for. It's called sent preaching, or at least that's what I call it. I'm going to show you kind of where I get that. And we need to back up to the last verse of last week's passage that we went through. It has become the first verse of our passage. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And we talked about this last week. This is the first of two Jewish prophets that Paul here in Romans 10 references. This is Joel. And when he says this in verse 13, this is the end of a promise that he, uh, that he references from Joel. And the start of the promise in Joel is familiar to many of us. In those days, I will pour out my spirit, Joel says, on all flesh. And young men and young women will see visions and old men will prophesy. I might have gotten that backwards, but there's power. There's power of the Holy Spirit that's being given to all flesh. That's the promise, and the promise ends with the whole purpose of power. So often if we try to dibble-dabble with the power of God as if it's some toy that we're just supposed to be extra spiritual weird people, and we don't see the purpose of why God gives us, graciously gives us power, we'll miss the point of it. The point of it is verse 13, so that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. The whole purpose of power, the greatest miracle you can ever see, and I've seen some miracles that still make me feel uncomfortable thinking about it in a good way, sanctified discomfort. I've seen some powerful things, but the point of power is the greatest miracle. And that's how Jesus alone can truly transform a heart to the degree that a heart believes and ends up confessing Jesus as Savior and God because Jesus is Savior and God. But a heart that's inclined to see and to savor and confess this reality and to call upon the Lord and be saved, that is the, the work of what power is given to us for. And this word, they who call, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, verse 13. Verse 14, the same word is used. It's how can they call? This word call, we can't confuse this with some ambiguous call, like calling out to the lucky stars or something like that. It's a very specific word in the Greek, which means to put a name on, even a surname. It's a specific and intimate call. It's not a general call, like whoever you are out there, please please help me. It's not... A call to the man upstairs, as football players will reference in their pregame prayers or their postgame interviews. It's not, it's not a, uh, God help me to connect to this Wi-Fi so I can get this thing done call, or a, help me find this parking spot call, or even the more desperate yet still relationally disconnected call. You know, the don't let her be pregnant, and I promise I'll come to church type of call. 
No, this is a specific call. It's not like a paramedic call. And see, so we, we can laugh at things like that, but we all kind of have our own categories of those other types of call. We often treat God almost like he's a paramedic. Now think about that for a second. God forbid you need a paramedic. Well, what do you do? We know those numbers, right? Three numbers. My kids need, we need to make sure they know these numbers. Nine, one, one. You call and thank you, Jesus. We, we live in a nation that most often you get a response. Thank you, Lord. And, and a paramedic comes, right? And, and what happens? They, they help you. They, they deliver the, 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 they save you in essence. They deliver you to the hospital. And then from that point onward, what is your relationship like with that paramedic? Non-existent, right? This sort of call is not that. They who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is a calling to Jesus for eternal salvation. This is a type of call that starts and never stops. It's enacted with the power of God, but it's enacted through the people of God. This perfect, irreversible type of redemption plan that, that ends in people calling out to God and never stopping is enacted. This pure and perfect plan is enacted through imperfect people like you and me. This is part of the scandal of it all. God's chosen meth- method for enacting people with a powerful drawing of the Holy Spirit, calling on Jesus for salvation and growth and sanctification There's a method that God uses in human history, and Paul draws it out in the next few verses through a series of rhetorical questions. So verse 14, 15, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So you see this progression, call, backing up to believed, backing up to heard, preaching, and then sent. This is a, a cutting line of questioning that's, I mean, it pretty much draws out pretty obvious things. Like, you got to, something's got to be thrown out there if you're going to hear something, right? And it seems obvious, but it runs up against so many of our churchy presumptions. It runs up against so many of our practices that we're so used to. But we need every layer of this in order for God's redemptive plan to play out like the powerful chain reaction that it's supposed to continue being. It starts with ascending. That's not kind of individual. It's not necessarily organizational or a business type ascending. It is a corporate, anointed, God-ordained sending that leads to preaching and a miraculous gift called hearing, and then believing and calling and saving. See, this is a progression that Paul starts with the calling. True calling, as we see, happens from believing. Like we we read last week, that if you confess and believe that Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. Because if you're confessing, if you're calling out to God, it's because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. The Holy Spirit that draws you before you're even aware of him drawing you is the Holy Spirit that comes to live on the inside of you once he, he 
enacts this believing. And this believing produces this calling. But the calling doesn't happen without the believing. The calling can't be manufactured. If there's no believing, there's no sort of calling like this. And, and if there is believing like this, you cannot prevent the confessing Christ and calling out to him. And so the next thing, this next thing in the progression, this calling and this believing requires hearing. And hearing about this person, particularly in whom we believe. This person who lived a perfect life, the life we should have lived. When we couldn't fix ourselves, when we couldn't follow the rules, Jesus came to us when we couldn't get to him. He lived a perfect life and died a sacrificial death, and he rose again from the dead. 500 eyewitnesses have confirmed this dude who is dead is not dead anymore, and I'm willing to die to testify to this. My conclusion, we say this a lot. It's worth saying even more. That set of historical data, the greatest reason that, that 500 eyewitnesses would say, hey, I saw a dead guy that's not dead, and he's rose up, he went to heaven. The best reason why 500 people would say they saw that and not deny it, even dying to testify, is because they actually saw him alive. And so they couldn't stop talking about it. They heard, they saw, they believed, they called. That is the person of whom they went out into the world to preach. And for us to hear about good news like this, it has to be preached. I'm going to ask you a simple question. Have you ever had a deep and quality interaction with someone or, or even a relationship with someone whose existence you were completely unaware of? I'm going to just go out on a limb and say no one. That's why there's, there's a necessity for preaching. And for some reason, preaching has, uh, has become this like pejorative in our culture, like it's a bad thing. People say stuff like, I'm not trying to preach. I always correct that. You know, like if it sounds like I'm preaching, it's because I'm preaching. How am I doing? Am I doing all right? Why, I don't know why preaching turned bad, but this word preaching literally means heralding. Heralding. See, back before the interwebs, important information was, was delivered by footmen, as you saw in the video, who would carry good news about a war, a victory, or something really important societally. And so these sorts of heralds were of utmost importance and dependability for a society to thrive. How important is preaching in that context? How are they to hear without a preacher? Now, this last kink in the chain is so important. This last chain link is so important. Preaching is not to be this lone ranger thing. Individuals just kind of go out preaching whenever they feel like it. Preaching is to be a corporate endeavor where we share in the preaching of God's word, not just when we gather, but also when we scatter. Now, this is where I have to pause, though, and say, I'm concerned that what most of us are familiar with, maybe in our culture in the United States, is what I would call sendless preaching at best. Sendless preaching. It's where we, we're inclined to think that the church is more like a business, 
like a service industry where I get my needs met, primarily. Surveys done multiple times where they ask people, does the, in the, they ask people in the church, does the church primarily exist for the people that are here, or does the church primarily exist for the people that are not here? Now, my hope is that it would be kind of like both, you know, like the answer would be like C, it'd be, it's both. But the vast majority of well-meaning Christians in the United States answered, well, primarily exists for the first. And that's evident in how we kind of treat church. We tend to treat church like, well, this is a place to kind of get my needs met. And, you know, this is where I get fed. We use words like that as if the congregation of the living Christ is primarily a business in a service industry. And so what happens is, we don't tend to think of the people out there as being people to whom we are indebted. We don't tend to think of nations who have millions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus having anything to do with why I'm alive and my heart is beating and air is filling my lungs. It's more common that we disconnect those things. What Paul is saying, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Sent by whom? By us, the church. And even when we see sending happening, often preaching happens where there's not the type of anointed collaboration of the church. And there's people with different spiritual gifts like the evangelism gift who, who will just kind of go and create a whole nother nonprofit to, to do something. And there's parachurch ministries. And I'm not saying that all those ministries are bad, I'm just saying that the degree to which the church sees from the Holy Spirit our part that we play on the campus, in the community, in the nations, in the sent preaching from the Holy Spirit, the less need there will be for other extra things like that. When we see that our collaboration is the burden of the Holy Spirit. The other thing that happens too, even I think maybe worse than sendless preaching is preachless sending, where for centuries, so much of the, the things that only redemption could supply in a culture, the physical needs that were being met because the gospel takes root in a culture, and some of the same problems on, in, in a culture's economy weren't arising in that culture. Without us having preaching sent to these places, there's a vacuum of relief efforts that happens. And so you have all these groups that it just seems so endless. And I'm not saying again that UNICEF is bad and we don't need UNICEF and we don't need these relief organizations. I'm just saying that in the context of eternal redemption, earthly relief will have a better and more sustainable and powerful flow unto the nations. And there's something about all of this that anyone who has ears to hear should say, God, don't, live, may, don't let me live for less than the sent preaching and the power that you've called us to. Now, here's a few elements that are important for our church to participate in sent preaching. I want to invite any of you to our weekly prayer meetings. At 9 a.m., we have a group of people that pray, and we pray for the kingdom of God. We pray for the preacher. We pray for this sent preacher right here that's sent by y'all sent by our oversight and our elders. But we pray for our singing preachers too. We pray for our, our greeting preachers over here. We, we pray for our kids' 
sent preachers. We pray for uh, our campus missionaries. And it's important because when we, when we pray for even nations that there are no Christian witnesses, it's important because the right burden from the Holy Spirit tends to come upon us through prayer. We, we, we also participate in this church in campus ministry. We see that the, the campus is not just maybe if we kind of have an economic ability to reach them, we'll just kind of do something extra. No, our inheritance in the nations and our inheritance in the campus requires us to invest. And we have beautiful feet that go to the campus, campus missionaries that we partner with. If you're a student here, you are a missionary that we want to have the right burden to see you as a sent preacher. And we have people to help send you. If you're not a student in here, we want you to know and be aware of, of what, what God's doing. It's one thing to, to celebrate the energy that young people, amen, bring to a service like this. I sure need it. I, I, I grow quieter and grumpier somehow without that. So praise God for that. But we also send you through our prayers. And once a year, in a few months, be ready with faith and money. We bring the campus missionaries up and ask you to partner with them. We participate in the global movement of God. So why we're, we're part of every nation, our, our tithing money from our church goes to support every nation. Our prayer and our, our interaction with other every nation churches globally is important for us to exist faithfully here. The necessity of sent preaching leads to next beautiful feet. So we have this progression in verses 14 and 15 about God's redemption plan involving these chain links of human involvement in missions. And then it almost seems like just this abrupt thought that Paul has where he references Isaiah 52. So how are they to hear unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You know, at first read it, it seems like this is kind of just a random interlude until you consider the whole point of what preaching or heralding is all about. In fact, can you close your eyes for a second? I want you to picture beautiful feet. Beautiful feet. Okay, now open your eyes. I'm guessing that many of you, like me, struggled with that, because I don't think feet are particularly beautiful. I'm sorry, if you're like a foot model, come and see me after, and I'll, I'll, I'll consider your, uh, your beautiful feet. But I don't think feet are inherently beautiful. I think this is purposefully ironic by Isaiah and by Paul, that feet are beautiful to the degree that they go into dark places and do redemptive things. Because precious people are beautiful, and therefore the feet that would be calloused enough to be inconvenienced, to do difficult things, there's something distinctly beautiful about that that transcends what we would see as beautiful. I think that's the point. I could be wrong. This is kind of my story. When I went into high school, I was confronted by a campus ministry that was set forth by a few different churches. And I was confronted by a young man named Josh. And there was nothing particularly beautiful about his message. He kept inviting me to this student-led campus ministry on campus. 
in one sense, I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm happy for you. This is working for you. That's great. But, you know, you know, everyone has their own thing. I was just, I was kind of annoyed that he kept inviting me. And I ended up going on September 10th, 1997. Again, not because I wanted to go, but because I wanted Josh to stop inviting me. I went. And something happened at this campus ministry that now that I've heard a little bit more about theology and stuff, I can have a better paradigm for what happened. Jesus says, he, let he who has ears to hear, hear. Well, what happened on September 10th, 1997? I was, I was given ears to hear. The Holy Spirit was drawing me. I could hear. And it wasn't just physical hearing. There was something profound that I was able to hear the gospel. And I didn't yet respond. I, I could see kind of the right diagnosis of my life through the word of God. And I went back on September 17th. And that's the day when hearing became believing and believing became calling out to Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. See, I had heard that I needed a Savior, and I heard who he is, and I believed on him and confessed him. Since that day, the progression of Joshua being sent to me to preach and God enabling hearing and believing and calling and saving and more calling and saving and more calling and saving in my life, Every time I see Joshua or think about him, when I see him when we're home, every once in a while we go back to Oregon, I want to kiss his feet. Again, there's nothing particularly beautiful about his feet, but the preciousness of a man who would preach the gospel to me. By the way, I didn't want him to at the start. And your beauty that you herald might not seem beautiful to everyone but it's beautiful to God, and that's what matters most. I want to kiss Joshua's feet. By the way, he's a painter, and that's just his occupational disguise because he's a herald. And I pray that many of you who are in different professions and students who are going towards different professions would see your call as a herald of the gospel of the beautiful one. I pray that this church would be the most, would, from this church would emanate the most beautiful feet in all the earth. Did you know that this church about 40 years ago, this building we're in right now, was built to be a shoe store? Kinney Shoes, they've since gone out of business. This church was, was empty and vacant for years before we had a need and and uh, it was pretty much a ghost town in this whole area. And so a guy was willing to, to lease it out to a church. And then we ended up buying it. And then all this revitalization happened. It was a shoe store. A year ago, I was having a, a prayer gathering with a bunch of pastors. And one of the pastors stopped outside the door. And he did what the Bible calls prophesying. And he said to me, he said, The Lord is preparing the feet of the people in this church with the gospel of peace. And then he referenced Isaiah 52. He said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I pray that this church, there would be a disproportionately high amount of heralds with beautiful feet being sent out. 
But here's one significant concern I have about all this. I'm concerned that women in our culture and even men and even in this church, we tend to focus so much time on your hair and eyes and skin tone and facial complexion or figures or clothing. And yet comparatively so little time on being truly beautiful and heralding the beautiful message of the risen Savior who died for our sin. My concern is the highest sort of concern because you, like me, live in the danger of wasting your life with other distractions. Now, I don't know if you are going to end up skinny or plump, muscular or scrawny, tan or pale skinned like me, but I'm pretty sure you're going to die somewhere in between all of those things. And that before that, you have access to something so much more beautiful. And my prayer and my concern is that you would tap into it and that we'd see the beauty and we'd savor and we would herald him. The writer of Hebrews reflects on this. He talks about these beautiful people that when you think about it, they weren't, they didn't have beautiful lives. They were sawn in two. They were, had their heads chopped off. But he says, these are beautiful people, quote, of whom the world was not worthy. And I ask you, the way you live your life, the things that you're concerned with, the way that you dole out your schedule, is the world worthy of you? Or do you have beautiful feet? Paul Brand is a medical missionary in India. He grew up in a missionary home, and as he was older, his dad died, and his mom continued to do the missionary work in India. And after not seeing her for years, it was, I think it was around her 70th birthday, Paul visits his mom, and he looks at her, and he says, Mom, you look like you've aged so much, so wrinkly. so." And his mom, I think, maybe had her feelings hurt a little bit, but her main concern was that her feelings of that would be a distraction from her mission. So here's what she decided to do. Paul Brand's mom took all of the mirrors out of her house and threw them away. And for the next 20 years, she preached the gospel with more and more boldness. And when she died in her early 90s, people from all over the mountains in that region gathered to celebrate the life and the funeral of, quote, a beautiful woman. And I pray that that would be us. Only sent preaching leads to beautiful feet. And also, number three, obedient belief. Next, Paul references Isaiah from later in Isaiah. Paul says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Now, I feel for Isaiah, Isaiah had some of these despairing things because Isaiah was sent to people who didn't technically listen and obey what he was saying as much from what he could see. And this is important. If you're honoring God and making disciples, your feeling of being sent and knowing you're beautiful doesn't just come from the results that you see. It's the obedience unto the person sending you. And this is so important. Isaiah had had zero, had zero results from what he could see. But Isaiah was not tasked 
with producing results that he could see. He was tasked with obeying God and trusting that God produces the results. And if you've done any sort of discipleship, making disciples, preaching, loving on people, sharing your story, understanding this could totally set you free. This is one of my main battles for the last 15 years of being a minister is that my, res- my results are things that only God could do. What, what the true results are is whether I'm obeying God. I don't minister and preach just because of what I see as the results. That's a false burden. God has sent me to herald the good news and trust him with the results. That he is the one who can produce faith that obeys. And make no mistake, faith that obeys is what Isaiah and Paul are talking about. That's what God produces through faith. In fact, verse 16, it's kind of a parallel thought progression between obeyed, not all have obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? It's almost like you could flip those. You could use them interchangeably. You could say, they have not all believed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has obeyed what he's heard? They're interchangeable. It's almost as if to say, if you don't obey, you don't believe. And that's not just what Paul is saying here in Romans 10. That's what the whole New Testament says. James 2, show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith through my works. John three thirty six, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Here's another time where he parallels obedience and belief. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey. Keep my commandments. Now, when it comes to hearing and believing and calling out in obedience with your life and with your lips. Again, if you find that the Holy Spirit's revealing to you what he revealed to me on September 10th, 1997, that you're not believing, you're not obeying, I'm going to warn you, please do not turn that diagnosis into some sort of condemning prognosis on your life. Don't try harder. Instead, rest in Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the one who sent the good news through beautiful feet to you so that you would rest in him. You would tap into a type of hearing that you can't manufacture that leads to a trusting and believing and confessing and obeying and confessing and obeying and more trusting. Rest in him. Sent preaching carried by beautiful feet leads to obedient belief and not because you try harder, not because of human striving, but because finally the word of Christ. So don't miss this last verse. It's so crucial. It's the hinge point of everything. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. First of all, faith comes through hearing. Isn't it amazing that God uses natural means like hearing to produce supernatural effects like faith. 
reading the Bible is amazing, but reading the Bible out loud is even more amazing. I've known of people, wise people, who take Bible promises and write them down in first person and say, I am the head and not the tail. I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. And you, you preach to yourself. You preach to yourself, and in preaching to yourself, there is life and death and the power of the tongue. You know that you can, you can build yourself up through the word of God. Faith comes from hearing. You can turn on your phone. The U version can read Bible plans to you, whether, like me, if I, if I wake up and I didn't have as much time to, I didn't make as much time to read the Bible, I can have the Bible read to me while I'm doing the dishes or driving. I've read the Bible the last decade once every year like this. And uh, yes, I don't have, I, I should make more time to read the Bible, but hey, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the you version, word of God is just as good. And often don't miss the part of gathering that's so important in preaching because your friends in your growth group can herald things to you about you that might be blind spots to you. They can share things with you through the word of God that you might not otherwise see. Faith comes through hearing. And let's focus on the last four words, hearing through, quote, the word of Christ. See, without the preaching of Christ, specifically his crucifixion and his resurrection, there's no gospel proclamation. There is no good news to believe. It's not just God is glorious and so change your life around. It's God is glorious. He made us for glory. He created us for a beautiful design. We've fallen into sin. We've failed him. He could give us the consequence of our sin, which is death, but he came to bring life, and he lived a perfect life, but he died a sacrificial death. No one else in human history has done this for us. There's imitators, but no one has died on our behalf, a perfect Jewish Messiah, and on the third day rose again from the dead. 1 Corinthians 2 says this about the word of Christ. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my message was not with plausible words of wisdom, with it, but with a demonstration of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Would you stand with me, please?